we're going to be blessed right now with a special number, a Christmas number by Alyssa. Well, this morning, this is a Christmas season, and it's only appropriate that we talk about the Christmas message. 
this morning, and that's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about what Christmas is about. We're going to talk about the Christmas day, and we're going to talk about what happens when Christmas is over. We're going to talk about what happens um, between the baby in the manger and the cross and beyond. So this morning I want to talk about I want to show you the Christmas story in a little video format. So Larry, let's go ahead and play that video. This is a few minutes long, and we're going to listen to the nativity story. Inasmuch as many have taken in hand to set in order a narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word delivered them to us. It seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write to you an orderly account, that you may know the certainty of those things in which you were instructed. There was, in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah. His wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well advanced in years. So it was that while he was serving as priest before God in the order of his division, according to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of people was praying outside at the hour of incense. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and having come in, the angel said to her, The Lord is with you. Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Come, you will conceive in your womb and give birth to a son, and you will call his name Jesus. How can this be, since I've been with no man? The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power from the Most High will overshadow you. And the Holy Offspring shall be called the Son of God. Son of God? Mary. Even your cousin, Elizabeth, has conceived a son in her old age, for nothing said by God can be impossible. Let it be done to me according to your word. and went into the hill country with haste to a city of Judah 
Elizabeth! 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 Oh, child! Oh, child! Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. But how could you know? Who am I that the mother of my Lord should come to me? The moment I heard your voice, my child leapt in my womb for joy. Blessed is she who believes the Lord's words. <laughs> now Elizabeth's full time came for her to be delivered, and she brought forth a son. When her neighbors and relatives heard how the Lord had shown great mercy to her, they rejoiced with her. So it was on the eighth day that they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him by the name of his father, Zacharias. What name have you given him? He shall have the name of John. John? But Elizabeth, there is no one in your family who bears that name. Zechariah would not wish for this. If he could speak, he would want a name that honors such a blessed child. Where does this name come from, Elizabeth? Where all names come from. His name is John. <gasps> he speaks. <gasps> His name is John. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. The census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. Requesting a census, each man to return to the place of his birth. Such an order will lead to unrest. The people whisper of rebellion even it now. It is the will of Caesar. My father lost his life because he failed to see the threat that was mounting against him from his own people. Now, all it will take is one man, one man, to convince the people he is their Messiah. The prophet said this man will rise from the house of David. This census would bring him back home. Have your soldiers and your spies keep watch for a man returning to Bethlehem. A man of power. A man the people will follow. Town of Nazareth! In the name of King Herod and the Almighty Caesar! You are ordered to participate in the census of all people. Each man will return to the land of his ancestors. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. Bethlehem. We will find a place. I promise. God be with you. Is there a place for my wife and me to stay? I'm sorry. There is no room here. I have moved your home, but 
any place you have. It's all I can do. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them. I bring you good tidings of great joy, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. You will find a child wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass which the Lord has made known to us and they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger now when they had seen him they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child and all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. And when eight days were completed for the circumcision of the child, his name was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. He is for all mankind. We are each given a gift. The Almighty has done great things. And holy is his name. He has sown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has brought down rulers from their thrones and has exalted those who were humble.
Amen. So that was a good depiction, I believe, of as close as we can get, maybe, to what might have happened that night. And that was a great story, isn't it? But the, the importance of the story is not what happened then at the conclusion. The story goes on. And the story has to, and the question has to be answered, what happens after Christmas? What happens after Christmas? Let's take a look at some of the people of that day. What happened to the shepherds? What happened to the wise men? Now, the wise men came after this. It could have been two or three years after this that the wise men finally got to Jesus and saw him. What happened to the innkeeper and the other residents of Bethlehem? What happened to Jesus' parents and his future siblings that were to come? What happened to Simeon and Anna that we'll read about in a minute? And most importantly, what's going to happen to you and I after we acknowledge and accept the story of this Christ child, and then what do we do with him? Let's talk about the shepherds. We all know about the shepherds. We saw them there. They were a rough crowd. They were not the, uh, the up-and-coming of their day. In fact, they were probably the outcast. They were the ones that no one could really trust. So they were best off if they were kept out of society. They were best off if they were kept out of the fields, taking care of the sheep, where they really couldn't get into a whole lot of trouble because they were not necessarily the good people. They were thieves and crooks. And isn't it interesting that those were the men that God decided to give the birth announcement to? Not the kings, not the upright, not the wealthy, not the ones that looked the part or played the religious part, but the ones that were really the needing him the most were the ones that God went to first. Interesting, that's a whole topic in itself. We could spend a lot of time even talking about that topic. But, but what I want to know is, what happened to the shepherds after that night? What'd they do? Now, we were told what they went ahead, and immediately they went and told the good news, and they spread the gospel. They spread it around the community. And people came, and they, and they listened, and they were beginning to glorify God for what was happening. But let's fast forward a few days Let's fast forward a few weeks, months, years. What do you think they did? What do you think the shepherds did with this information of this baby? They didn't see a king. They saw a baby. And then he left. He left Bethlehem. They had to move out. They had to, they had to flee Bethlehem because Herod was coming, and, and Herod was going to, 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 was to going to kill the babies, and he did. Herod killed all the young children, the young males, in that community because he heard the king had been born and so Herod was threatened by that and, and so as a result Mary and Joseph had to flee out of Bethlehem and they went to Nazareth where they were protected but what do you think the shepherds did? Do you think they ever thought about Jesus after that? Do you think they tried to follow his life? Do you think they tried to friend him on Facebook? <laughs> you know I mean what, how, did they, how did they coordinate? How did they, what did they do? Now, probably most of them died by the time Moses, or Jesus, Moses, by the time Jesus ever got into his ministry, probably these shepherds were gone. But they probably had offspring. Do you think any of those shepherds' kids were healed by Jesus? Do you think any of them saw Jesus' ministry? Do you think they were aware of his crucifixion? Ah, interesting, isn't it? Ever thought about that? What about the wise men? It says in Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the, king of, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Then skip down to verse 10. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. That's all we hear of the wise men. What did they do with Jesus? You know, they were given prophecy. They were given dreams. They were given instruction by God that, to follow this star, this odd-looking star that came up because these were learned men, and they were men that studied stars. And they studied the heavens, and God said, follow this star, and they did. And, and when they got there, they were expecting to see the king of kings, and what they saw was a child. What do you think they did with that information? Interesting. Interesting. What did they do with that? 
And then we go back a little bit and, and we talk about Simeon and Anna, the prophetess of the temple. We read about this in Luke chapter 2, beginning at verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was a righteous and, and devout man. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him, then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Why are Simeon and Anna important to the Christmas story? Why are they important to your life and to my life? See, they gave evidence to Mary and Joseph of who Jesus really was. Now, yeah, we could say that Mary and Joseph were ministered to by angels. Shouldn't, shouldn't that have been enough? Well, God knew they needed more. Not only did Mary and Joseph need more evidence, but the other people in the temple needed evidence that Jesus was not just an ordinary baby, that Jesus was the promised Messiah. And they came and they gave testimony to who Jesus was. Matthew Henry says this in a commentary about this. He says, A very honorable testimony is borne to him by Simeon, which was both a reputation to the child and an encouragement to the parents, and might have been a happy introduction of the priests into an acquaintance with the Savior if those watchmen had not been blind. You see what happened here? Simeon could have been given... He, Simeon, Simeon could have been like the shepherds, to the Pharisees, to the learned people. Because he said, hey, listen, this is Jesus. This is the Messiah. But the Pharisees of the day, the learned ones, the scholars, the religious ones of the day were blinded and they didn't see it. Oh, man, there's a story there, isn't there? How about my life? How about your life? Have we been blinded by things? Do we see it? You see, Simeon and Anna had an opportunity to look forward to the Messiah. They were living all their life with the expectation that God gave them that they would see the promised Messiah. They were looking forward to the cross. We are looking backwards to the cross. Do you see that? But we're both looking at the cross. We're both looking at Jesus. They're looking forward. We're looking backward. But we're both looking at the Messiah. How long do you think they lived after that? What happens? We don't really know. They could have passed relatively quickly, but there's the importance of their life here. Again, Matthew Henry brings a really interesting point. That Simeon, he was promised that Simeon should not see death before he had seen the Messiah, the Lord's anointed. And listen to this. Those and only those can with courage see death and look at in the face without terror that have had by faith a sight of Christ. Now that he had seen the Christ, he was at peace to die. You and I today, as we see the baby that grew up to be that perfect sinless sacrifice, to be that sacrifice on the cross, because we see him, we can be at peace to die. What a promise, what a hope. What a glorious thing. What a gift. What about the innkeeper? 
What about the other residents of Bethlehem and then future Nazareth? We don't have any other record of other visitors coming to see Jesus in the, in the, in the stables. But we do know that they were told because that was a shepherd's doing. They went out and told people. So we don't know. Maybe there could have been others. You know how rumors fly in small towns? <laughs> Come on. We know how that flies. You know they knew about it. But we don't know who went and saw him. But we do know later, as we read in the Gospels, how they received him when he was the Messiah. And it wasn't really good. It wasn't good at all. Let's read about it in Mark chapter 6. This is the reaction to the people that had seen Jesus grow up in their area. Jesus left there, he's in his ministry now, and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many heard him and were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked? What's this wisdom that has been given him? What are these remarkable miracles he is performing? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? Do you hear the questions? And they took offense at him. Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own town, among his relatives and in his own home. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. Man, these are the people that should have known who he was. These are the people that should have welcomed him more than anybody because they knew his story. They knew he was born of a virgin. They knew all that. Why? Why? Why do you think that? You know, it's pretty scary, isn't it? Because I see application all over this for me and my life and for our, the generation that we live in as well. We have all the information of, the, of, of God's word. Why don't we believe God's word and then accept Jesus Christ for who he is in our heart and our life? What a drastic difference their reception versus Simeon and Anna's reception of him. What about his own family? What did they do? Well, his mother Mary... We see her numerous times in the New Testament, and we see her reaction and acceptance of Jesus, beginning with the very beginning, as we saw in this little video, how she accepted the call of the angel on her life. And I really like the way that she acknowledged it and the way that she dealt with it. Luke chapter 2, verse 19, But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. She pondered them. She, she kept them at, at close to her mind. She kept them close to her heart. When she saw the things happening in Jesus' life that she didn't understand, she really had no idea what he was going to do. Do you know that? She had no plan. God did not lay out for her the plan of Jesus' life. She had to watch it like everyone else. But yet, she had, her heart was prepared because she allowed it to be prepared. What about Joseph? What about his father? We don't know too much about him after the fact. We do know that, that he was a good dad, as far as he was, a, 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 that we know of. He taught Jesus a trade. He taught Jesus how to be a carpenter. We know that he was with Jesus up to the point where he was at least 12 years old because of the time when they, they went to the temple over the Passover time. And like all of us that have been in church very much, we've all been left to church. <laughs> how many of his kids as younger, have been left by, at church by your parents. I have. <laughs> they, everybody gets in the car and drives off and says, where's Mike? Or where's Barney? Or where's Sue? Well, we left them at the church. Jesus was left at church. We know that. So we know Joseph was around then, but we don't know much what, about what happened to Joseph after the fact. Joseph must have died relatively soon after that, or at least before Jesus came into ministry. Because we see no record of Joseph when Jesus was in his ministry. And we have to recognize that if Joseph would have died when we have record of Jesus' life, that there would have been a funeral. There would have been something. Jesus would have acknowledged his father somehow, some way. Or possibly he would have healed his father. But Joseph was a good dad. But we don't know much about him. What about his brothers? What about Jesus' brothers and sisters? Mary and Joseph or Mary and Joseph's brother, we don't know exactly what might have happened here. But it could have been in those days, it, could, it would have been the brothers, if Joseph would have died early, maybe the brother, and that when the brother was identified later in Scripture. 
but whatever, it was half brothers and sisters. How, what did they think of Jesus? What did they think of him? Could you imagine growing up with Jesus, first of all? But what did his parents, what did his brothers and sisters think of him? Well, we find out. John chapter 7, verse 1 through 5. After this, Jesus went into, around Galilee. Again, Jesus is in his ministry time now. He did not want to go into Judea because of the Jewish leaders were there looking for a way to kill him. He was just beginning his ministry. But when the Jewish festival of tabernacles was near, Jesus' brothers said to him, Leave Galilee and go to Judea so that your disciples there may see the works you do. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you are doing these things, show yourself to the world. For even his own brothers did not believe in him. Do you see, do you see the sarcasm, the cynicism there? Go ahead, man. If you're so good, go show yourself to the world. They were kind of pulling the strings a little bit, weren't they? Even his own brothers and sisters. Why? Why do you suppose that? And this is something maybe we can apply in our own life. Do you think maybe they were just a little bit too familiar with Jesus? A little bit too, little bit too comfortable with him to really believe that he was anything different than them? Maybe there was some sibling rivalry there. Maybe they didn't want him to be any better than they were. I don't know. But yet I see some application here for my life. If I can get too familiar, if I'm too much of a church kid, if I'm too much in the church theology or religion or whatever, I can get too familiar with the Christ and I can take him maybe not for what he is really supposed to be in my life. Amen? Can you understand? Can you acknowledge that? Can you see that? How important it is that we don't let Christ be too come, become too familiar with us? What did Jesus do? What did Jesus do for almost 30 years? after his birth. You know, he's not there. Did you notice that he's not here in this little crib right here? This is empty, by the way. Okay, he's not there. And he's also not on that cross anymore. Do you know that? Yeah, that's good, isn't it? I wouldn't want him to be either one of those places. I, won't, I want him to be right where he's at. He's at the right hand of the Father. But what was he doing between this? You know, it, took, it took 30 years for him to walk, 33 years approximately, for him to walk from here to there. From this point to the cross. It took about 30 years. What do you think he did? Do you know 90% of his life we have no record of? The Gospels and all of the New Testament is written only of three years of Jesus' ministry. What happened in that 30-year period of time? Well, we're given a clue. Luke chapter 2, verse 39 through 40, and then Luke chapter 2, verses 51, beginning at 39. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And when the child grew, he became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was on him. Luke chapter 2, verse 51. Then they went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. Jesus was obedient to his mother. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart, and Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. So we see Jesus here growing up, becoming a man, learning. Can you imagine that? Jesus learned of things. He grew up in stature and in knowledge. He was getting prepared for what was ahead of him in his earthly and spiritual mission. He had to be proven. This is very important. He had to be proven worthy of the sacrifice that was before him as the only way to be that sacrifice. He had to live out an earthly perfect life. He could not have appeared in this world as a man to be worthy, to be acceptable as the sacrifice that he became because he had to grow up in knowledge and in stature before God. He had to prove himself to be sinless. That's really important here, folks, because we have to prove ourselves in a similar fashion. That's why time is so important in our life. That's why time can't be under underemphasized. We have to give evidence to our Heavenly Father of our acceptance of the sacrifice of Jesus through time. Jesus had to experience time to be the sacrifice. We have to experience time to receive the sacrifice. You see, you see how significant time is? Now, how does all this apply to our lives today? How does this apply? Well... We're going to be asked some questions down the road about what we've done since Christmas. What we've done with Jesus since Christmas. Basically, what happens in your life 
after Christmas is all over, when all the presents are unwrapped and things put away and all the Christmas music is finally over <laughs> and we're ready to move on, what happens? What does Jesus have to do with you for the rest of the year? Time has a way of minimizing and maximizing the events of life. The bad things can be forgotten. The good things can be built upon with the passing of time. Time can bring about a sense of purpose or a sense of hopelessness. Time can be used productively or it can be wasted. Time will bring a reward or a punishment depending on how it's used. There is much to be considered this morning about how we've allowed and how we continue to allow the impact of our relationship with Jesus to be in our life. Just like everyone else in the stories of the life of Jesus and their story of their after their time, what did time accomplish for them and how they related to Jesus? How did time impact their life? for how they looked at Jesus when he became the sacrifice. Did time bring them to a closer relationship with him? Or did it allow them to drift further away, even to the point of rejection? See, the shepherds were told firsthand who he was, right? They were told by the angels. But did time find them honoring him? Or did they drift away? The wise men also were given special insight into who Jesus was. But did over time, did they understand him more and follow him? What about the family of Jesus? We see the impact of time on their life wasn't so good for them. At least, for at least two of them, maybe, it was good. James, the brother of Jesus, and Salome, one of the sisters of Jesus, may have been at the cross. But the question that we want to speak about this morning is, what are we doing with this Jesus in this, in this great story? What are we doing with him in our lives in the time that we're allotted? Let's fast forward to the most important conversation we're ever going to have and think about that conversation to see how it might impact our life today. The conversation that we're going to have is found in Romans chapter 14, starting at verse 10. For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will acknowledge God. So then, each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. You see, you may not look at this as a significant passage to the Christmas story, but this is what it's all about. This conversation is why Jesus came. If we don't look down that far down the road, then Christmas be, just becomes a holiday. It doesn't become the, the, the presentation of our Christ. It just becomes a holiday where we celebrate. So we look at these very important questions, and we have to look and see how that really gives us the true explanation of what Christmas is about. Because I'm going to be responsible for how I handle the gift. And you're going to be responsible for how you've handled the gift of Jesus in your life. What are we doing after Christmas? What are we doing when it's over? How is Jesus impacting my life throughout the years I have? Jackie, if you'd come this morning. See, the true, the true meaning of Christmas comes in what we do after Christmas. What we do with this Christ child that's now turned into the Christ King and the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. What are we doing with this man? What are we doing with this God? What are we doing with this man that gave his life so that I and you can live? The Christmas story is a great story. It's a miraculous story. And it's a story that gives us all hope. All mankind has hope because of the Christmas story. It truly is the greatest story ever told, without question. But let me take this a little bit more personal this morning because the point of the story is only as good as it's applied to my heart. It's only as good as it's applied to your heart. If the story is just a story that gives hope to mankind, that's good and that's true. 
But we, can't, we have to take it down out of the global picture of what the story is about, and we have to apply it down to each individual personal life. And that's the significance of who God is. See, God is so big. He's so awesome, so undescribable, but yet he's so approachable because he knows you by name, and he knows me by name. And that's why he sent Jesus, because he loves you and I so much that he gave his son to leave heaven and to come down and be amidst thieves and crooks in an evil generation to live a perfect life so that you and I may gain heaven. The question is this morning, what have you done? If Jesus was before you this morning, just close your eyes with me for a minute. Just close your eyes. And let's imagine, let your mind's eye ramp or just roam here a little bit. If Jesus was standing before you, or no, let me say it. If God was standing before you, God is standing before you. He's going to ask you a couple of questions. He's going to say, have you honored my son? Have you honored him with your life? Or have you rejected him? Have you received my son personally for you as a gift he truly was? I gave help him for you. Have you received him? Those are the two most important questions anyone could ever ask. And how often do we not think about that? How often do we come into church, play our game, sing a few songs, look good, go back out into the world, and never evaluate our life according to the gospel? See, if you say, if you say you've honored him, then what's your evidence? What's your evidence? Not before me, not before man, but before God. Are you really giving him the honor that he's due? Are we really sacrificing ourselves to receive the sacrifice of him? So this morning, as we celebrate this season, can I challenge you to think about how you're going to make the use of the time after the celebration is over? Are you making wise choices with this precious gift of the Christmas story so that God will be pleased with what you've done with his son? Amen. So this morning, with all your eyes closed and as you're praying and and doing a little personal evaluation, can I just take the time this morning just to ask all of us here this morning, are we okay? Are you okay with this Jesus? This morning, with all eyes closed, personal time, all eyes closed, this morning, if you have any reservation, if you have any question, if you want to just make sure, would you just lift up your hand to the Lord and say, Jesus, would you come into my heart this morning? I want to receive you as the perfect gift. All right, amen. How many here would want to recommit your life to the Lord today? I see the hands. How many here would want to say, it's me, all over again, Jesus, I receive you as my Savior again, fresh and anew. I thank you, Jesus. Come on, raise your hand. Just let them know if you want them. It's okay. This is how we receive the gift. We have to receive it, folks. We have to, we have to lift our hearts and our hands before him, and we have to acknowledge who he is. Amen. He is the gift. He's the gift. He's the gift. But he's only as good as those who receive. Amen.
Father, we are so thankful for what you've done. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Father in heaven, for sending your son, Jesus. We appreciate so much the gift, the gift of who Jesus is. And Lord, now as we go throughout this time, I pray that we would acknowledge you on a regular basis. I pray that we would constantly be evaluating our life. Are we redeeming the time? Am I redeeming the time? Lord, help me not to waste the precious time that you've given me because I have no idea how much time you have given me. Lord, I accept the gift of Jesus in my life. And I am with all others here this morning. We thank you, we worship you, and we give you our, our praise and our adoration. Go with us, Father. Make this be a special time. Make this be a, a new season in our life. Lord, if this is a hard time for us, Lord, I pray that you smooth it out. Give us peace in it. Help family relationships, I pray. Help people to acknowledge who you are in their life, I pray. Lord, let this be the first Christmas, maybe for some of us, that we've acknowledged who you are. And we praise your name. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Merry Christmas. Have a blessed week.